Well, let's bow our heads in prayer. Holy and wonderful Creator God, you have blessed us with your word of Holy Scripture. Allow it to speak deeply into us this day. Allow our ears and our hearts to resound with the hearing of it. And let our lives be forever changed by your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Amen. Our readings for today start out with the Old Testament from the book of Daniel. We're looking at chapters 6, verses 13 through 23. Then they responded to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the inter-edict that you have signed, but he is saying that his prayers three times a day. When the king heard the charge, he was very much distressed. He was determined to save Daniel, and until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. Then the conspirators came to the king and asked him, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and of the Persians that no interedict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. So the king gave the command. And Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, Deliver you. A stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his lords, so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and food was brought to him, and he did not eat it, and no sleep came to him. Then at the break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of the lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel said to the king, Oh, king, may you live forever. May God, my God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. Because I was found blameless and faithful before God and also before you, O king. I have done no wrong. And so then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. And so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him. Because he had trusted in his God. And then the king gave a command that those who had accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the den of lions. And they and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all of their bones to pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is in Matthew, 
chapter 6, verses 24 to 34. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and how they neither toil or spin. Yet I will tell you that Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so chooses, so clothes the grasses of the fields, which are alive today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For it is those who do not know God who strive for all of those things. And indeed, your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. But strive first for the kingdom of God and God's righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. There is a family story that my dad likes to tell about me. It's actually about my brother and I, but I feature heavily in it, and it's uh, from when we were very little. So little, my brother Patrick was still in his stroller, but he was big enough to toddle around a little bit. It all happened one day. In the school cafeteria where my dad was teaching sciences at the time. Now dad had undertaken of his own volition a mural project. And was there in the dining hall painting this gigantic falcon. Which was the school's mascot. It was on the largest empty wall of the dining hall. And it was my job to entertain my brother as he was finishing up for the day. So entertainment to two young boys means giving stroller rides, obviously. And so we were having a great time. I was pushing him up and down in between all the long tables. And as a young boy, I had never been to a race of any kind, but I knew innately what you were supposed to do. Somebody gets in the stroller, you grab the back, and you go, vroom, on the straightaways, and you go, screech, around the corners. 
So we were doing this back and forth, back and forth, and we were having a great time, and my brother was giggling and laughing, and it was an awesome, awesome day, until I took one of the corners a little too tight and cracked his head on the edge of one of the tables. Now, maybe uh, a mom or somebody would have been able to foresee that happening, (laughs) There are a lot of our kids, when we're walking around tables or things like that, I'll cover the edge of a table with my hand as they come close. Because you can just, you have that sixth sense about some of these little ones that are wandering around. You're like, that head is going to meet the corner of that table any minute. Well, the poor dad was busy, and he turned around, and my brother was screaming and wailing, of course, and tears running down his face. My dad loves to tell That tale, he says, there was no permanent damage to your brother, but I always wonder what he might have done had you not permanently given his brain an injury. But he was really fine. It's funny that that happened and we tell that story, but the thing that sticks out most in my head isn't really even my brother or giving the rides or anything. I feel like I know that mostly from the story that's been told and retold. The thing that sticks out the most in my head is the falcon. And I think that's probably because of some, like, deep memory. I was probably, like, staring at it while my dad was, like, yelling at me. (laughs) So it was, like, this, like, ingrained, like, semi-traumatic thing that, like, made this deep well into my brain matter that I'll never forget. But the falcon was beautiful. It was this picture of a falcon kind of coming in for a landing, and its wing tips were spread out like fingers, and its claws were out, and it was kind of looking over here to the left and slightly, slightly at you with that big, dark falcon eye, and that bright beak. And it was up against the, the background. The, the rest of the, the dining hall was kind of this darker, darker blue-green And it's fascinating because, I think because of that, I started to be fascinated with birds in general. I started drawing them, started looking at them, started really wanting to know the names of them. Birds are, in some way, uh, our first pets as children. They keep coming to the house. If, If you happen to be in a household like ours where we didn't have regular pets inside the house, I had a hamster that later in life that my brother ended up stepping on, but that's a different story about brothers. Uh, But birds are some kind of your first pet. They come to the house, you see them every day, oh, that's that's this one and that one. You can give them names as they come by. I've seen Amara do this this year, especially as we've had the same kinds of birds come by again and again. Some of them start getting names. And there was one thing that I remember about the birds and being a kid and learning to draw the birds. And kind of when you draw something, you kind of break it down into all its little pieces. And I remember being kind of put off at one point. Because I was trying to figure out why birds look so crazy. Like if you look at a bird, they're not really like any other animal. You know, if you look at dogs, you can kind of, if you're pretending, if you're a kid and you're pretending to be a dog, you can kind of make your arms down this way and kind of sit down. Like, yeah, that's how, it, that's how a dog's arms go. Or a horse, you can go clip-clop and things like that. And you can be a snake and all these things. Birds, if you really look at them, their wings are kind of like, they're, they're like 
back. And it's almost like you have to kind of break your elbow to really get the shape of that wing the right way. And I was always frustrated by that. And I always started looking at birds' feet. You know, you draw bird feet, just kind of straight lines, and they start looking, and they're like, oh, no, they go backwards? Their knees bend the wrong way. I was really kind of perturbed by this, and I kept drawing birds different ways, and like, you know, I tried to make the bird's knee bend the right way, but then the bird looks really strange, because then their toes, their knees are like out over their toes, and it's just, it's not, it's not helpful. It all came down to a head when there was a TV show that came out, David Attenborough's The Life of Birds. And in David's program, I remember this too, there were these slow-motion images of the birds as they were flying. And if a bird looks weird on the ground, then if you can see it in slow motion in the air, it's kind of an aha moment where you go, that's why those wings are shaped the way they are. Because you can almost see it as it scoops the air and pushes itself off the ground. And uh, Mr. David Attenborough was kind enough to tell me as a young child why the bird's legs bent the way they did to give them extra lift and loft as they jumped and pushed off, why they were weird and scaly so that they were tough and would withstand rocks and, and sticks and other things that they were landing in, and how every part of all of these different kinds of birds was intended and made for a specific and beautiful purpose. And I kind of started to get it. It was an aha moment about the incredible business of being a bird. And so today we have this passage that we're looking at. We're invited to colloquially consider the birds. Look at the birds, Jesus says. The passage from Matthew is uh, supposed to be about worry. If, if you have one of those Bibles that blocks things out into subsections and labels them at the top, that's what it will be labeled as. This is the section on worry. And hopefully and probably I'm going to go out on a limb and say that it's uh, lent itself well to quieting some anxieties that we've maybe had in the past as we've read through that. Which is wonderful. It can be a mantra for us in troubled times. Do not worry. I'm worth more than a bird. Uh, worry doesn't add any days to my life. But I was uh, reading it this week. In preparation for the sermon today, I saw something else happening as well. There is a basic invitation in this passage to be who we are and to be what we were created to be. The reason that the birds and even the flowers are unconcerned is because they fulfill completely the purpose of their creation. This passage isn't just about not looking at what you wear or where your next meal is coming from, but it's more about being the thing that you were made to be. The reason a flower isn't concerned about how it looks is because it's a flower. The reason a bird doesn't have to have a farm is because the bird is designed to do the finding of the grain and the eating of it. 
also, since we're talking about the birds specifically and the eating of grain, I feel like I want to make a little aside here and imagine myself kind of in the crowd as Jesus is talking about this. And I don't want to be that guy, but I kind of am that guy that, you know, holds up their hand and says, um, actually, I don't know if you know this or not, but you don't get invited back to a lot of parties. But the truth is that there are actually birds that store up grain. If you've ever watched a blue jay eating peanuts, you can watch them actually bury peanuts like a squirrel. And like a squirrel, they'll actually dig other holes to throw you off the scent. But I don't want to disagree with Jesus. So, yeah, birds don't make farms. That's true. The only thing that that does, though, is it goes on to prove that it's not really necessarily about the storing of the food. Because the Bible has to be for all of time and for the current time that it was written in. If it's for all of time and we know now that there are birds that store up food, then we have to look at it in a slightly different way or else we're going to sit there and unwind the whole thing. Jesus isn't telling us then to stop putting food in our refrigerators. Jesus isn't telling us to stop buying clothes. But that people, the people that we are created to be, are not meant to be worrying over it. And if we want to live the life that we're meant to live without worry, we have to be who we are meant to be. As I came on that thought, I was reminded of a famous line from Luther, Here I stand, I can do no other. This, this line is supposed to come when he is in Worms, being put on trial. And he says, this is it. This is who I am. This is what I believe. I can't do anything else. We can't do anything else but be who we are created to be. Now, I don't want us to hear that this is some kind of free pass just to kind of get out of changing or, or, or being kind to each other. Like, well, it's just the way I am. Tough luck. <laughs> the previous snippet in Matthew has kind of a deeper word for us on that as well. Because it's talking about serving two masters it's talking about this idea of mammon. Uh, sometimes uh, you'll see it translated in, in different kinds of, of Bibles as wealth or treasure or even money. And those things aren't wrong. But I like it when it translates it and leaves the word mammon there. That's what it says in the actual Greek. It says this word mammon. And I like when it, when it leaves that word there because it, it makes us kind of stop and uh, figure out what this bump in the road is. Uh, otherwise, I feel like we run the risk of just reading through that and being like, yeah, okay, Jesus, I get it. Money's bad, and we shouldn't have money or whatever. I got. We go kind of buy it too quickly. Because mammon, while it is treasure, and while it is money, and while it is uh, wealth, it also has a very deep meaning for the Jewish people. The word itself is actually a kind of slang that they've picked up 
through their millennia-long movements around the Middle East, much like our English language has picked up things like café or faux pas or even genre, which are all French. The Jewish people picked up this word from other cultures. Mammon is actually a Chaldean word. And if you've never heard of the Chaldeans, well, it's no surprise. Because the Chaldeans were absorbed by the Babylonian Empire pretty uh, soon into their existence. But the Chaldeans were a Fertile Crescent people and they were also a Semitic-speaking people. So they shared a lot of touchstones with the Jewish people. And this was one of their words. And what it really means is trustworthy. Now you can see how it kind of got uh, altered or shifted a little bit because when we think about things that are trustworthy, we could think about God. We may also think about our money. The things we treasure. Our wealth. So Jesus separates the mammon, trustworthy word, apart from God in this passage. You cannot serve two masters. He pulls them apart to clarify. Now, if you are remembering the older version of this word, or if you have this note and understanding of mammon meaning trustworthy, I don't want you to think that I'm still talking about trusting God in this. I'm talking about trusting something other than God. Trusting any other kind of power. Daniel is in the lion's den. Daniel is having to find a way to trust. And Daniel's having to figure out what things he actually trusts in this very real moment when there are very real lions who are going to come after him. The lions of Babylon were famous. You heard at the end of what we read that they break bones and they devour. It was the equivalent of maybe being the last state to do some kind of very severe corporal punishment or something. It was famous. Everybody knew, oh yeah, you go to Babylon, you do something wrong, you get the lions. That is not a good way to go. Daniel has this moment. He has all day because the king gives him time. His advisors come to the king. They say, King, Daniel's doing this thing. Daniel, and the king's like, oh, no, Daniel. I really like Daniel. This stinks. And so he waits all day. He's like, maybe Daniel's going to come in. Maybe Daniel will come in and recant. And that will get him out of this because Daniel knows that this is going to happen. Daniel knows what the punishment is. He knows all about these lions. And Daniel spends that day making a choice. And Daniel decides to Trust God instead of Mammon. Mammon could be a principality, it could be an empire, it could be a, a power. It could be our work itself, it could be the money that we get from that work. It could be something that we trust that isn't God. 
So Daniel has to be who Daniel is. Daniel has to be who God created Daniel to be. And it says it a few times. The king of Babylon says it to Daniel twice. Daniel says it about himself once. Daniel, who is faithful to your God. I hope that you'll be safe. It makes sense, this connection that we have between wealth and trust. Because our money very often is security. It's security for us. It's security for our families. It's security for our children, our grandchildren. That is how we think about it. Just this past weekend, we had a very interesting discussion with uh, some of my uh, other Christian colleagues about wealth and uh, the communal living of the early church. When Pentecost first came down upon us, the early church was created. They lived in this community that gave up its wealth for one another to get away from this understanding of mammon. And I said, yeah, that was easy in the early church because they thought Jesus was coming back. (laughs) When they started to have kids and grandkids, that's when things got more complicated because they said, well, what if Jesus doesn't come back before they're dead? I need to leave something for them. I need to have something set aside so that they're taken care of because that's that's what I'm supposed to do. That's who I am. And everything got a little more complicated for them and for us. But this is the sin of manna in the desert. This is the hard understanding of figuring out what we actually trust. When the Israelites got manna in the desert, God said, you get it for one day. Just take what you need for today. And there were some people that said, well, I don't totally trust God. What if God stops doing this today? What if this is the last day that God is going to actually give us manna? I'm just going to scoop a little bit more into this bowl. and I'm just going to set it aside in my tent. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. I'm not going to tell other people how to live their lives. I just am nervous. I'm just worried about this. The manna spoils because you can't not be what God created you to be. You can't serve God and mammon. If you want to live a life free of worry, you have to be the creation of That God made you to be. If you look at the early church on Pentecost. They had to be. What God was making them to be. Before that. In Acts. If you look at the early church. They hadn't done very much. They would looked up at the sky. Waiting for God to come back. And had to be told off by an angel. And then they replaced somebody that they had staff issues with. And then they gathered together in one place. And that was kind of it. That was as far as humanity had gotten with the early church. That was the sum total. There's no big plan. 
There's no huge understanding. There's no outline. There's no um, group meetings and getting together and saying, all right, now you're going to go to this place and we'll go here and we'll have this meeting and this is the time and this is the... There's none of that. There's just a lot of people gathered together. If there had been some of that, I feel like it would have said that. But the church has to be what God created them to be. And what God created them to be was a spirit-filled group of people who couldn't help but witness to the amazing power and presence of Jesus Christ in their lives. They didn't have a choice. They had to do what God created them to do. And so the Holy Spirit came, bang, and zip through the early church and inflame them and empower them and they ran out into the streets talking in every language that God had made their mouths to speak in. They decided that day who they were going to serve. God or mammon. And in that way, they brought life to the church of tomorrow and the next day and the next day. It wasn't only what they could gather in a basket and hold on inside their tent. It was living in to what they were made to do. So when you're made to be a bird, you be a bird. No matter how crazy you look or how funny your parts are put together, because you are made wonderfully and perfectly to do the job that God has made you to do, whether it's eating seeds or pulling fish out of the sea. And when you are made to be a child of God, be a child of God. Be fascinated by all the little pieces of you that live into this life that God has made you in. The mammon that exists in the universe will steal your life away with worry. Because Jesus says in this passage that the mammon people, the people that don't know God, the ones who worry are the ones who don't know God. The ones who don't have an experience with the Lord. The only people who don't No God are the ones that have these concerns. If we really know God and know the depth to which God loves us, if we really know that manna comes every day to supply our need, if we really know that we can be brave in the face of arrogant principalities who tell us to worship idols... In the face of real lions. If we really know God more than anything else. Then we will put God's work first. And we will live a life free of concern. So consider the birds. Each and every kind. Doing just what God made them to do.